Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. It's really great to be with you all and uh, I'm delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Um, an author um, with a really interesting book and topic to talk about. Uh, welcome, Bob Dotto. Hello, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's really great to have you here and uh yeah, I'm excited to dive into this subject today that we've got to talk about. So, um, uh, yeah, tell us a bit of uh, of your own story. Um, well, you know, I'm I live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, grew up on the East Coast of the United States, and grew up in a culturally Catholic family <clears throat> in New Jersey, and uh, was just kind of interested in spiritual stuff from a very early age. Um, even, you know, my teenage years and I played in bands and so was doing a lot of music stuff and in kind of like a punk rock scene. Um, but had always maintained, um, a pretty strong spiritual interest, religious interest. Um, not so much in Catholicism at that time. I, I kind of ventured out into the world of other religions and other spiritual tracts, but, um, yeah, I kept going, kept going. And then, you know, about maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I, I started reclaiming or reinvestigating or reengaging with the the religion that I was born into to see what it had in store for me there. Um, and that's what I've been doing ever since on that front. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. And you've written this, this book, which, um, I haven't had a chance to read it as yet, but um, I've, I've heard a lot about it and read a lot about it. And called "Sitting with Spirits," mm-hmm. exploring the unseen world in the margins of Christianity. Now, this sounds really interesting. Just the title uh, is <laughs> fascinating. Uh, and uh, yeah, so tell us a bit about this book and and the journey into writing this book. Sure. So. Um... The book is basically about, or the basically the the book looks at spiritualism or spiritism, or in more generally working with spirits um, through a Catholic Christian lens, or at least a biblical lens. Um, so it's a short book, you know, it's about 136 pages. Um, but in that time, you know, I kind of just explore the ways in which Jesus engaged with spirits, um, what are often translated as demons. Uh, I give a little bit of story about my own journey into that path and my own journey in the kind of working with spirits world. Um, and yeah, at the end, there's a uh, a little bit of a manifesto. I think every book should have a a manifesto at some point, um, or everyone should at least write a manifesto at some point about something. Um, so in this book, I have a manifesto about reclaiming your root tradition, you know, um, for all of us kind of spiritual nomads who have ventured out into the world and to take some time to re-engage with the tradition that we grew up in, um, as difficult as that may be sometimes. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of a little eclectic book, but the main thrust of the book is looking at spirits, malicious spirits, beneficial spirits, and how those are interpreted in the biblical context. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fascinating subject. And, you know, one of the things that has known me about it was connecting with the spirits of people who've passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I talk about grief a lot on this show and talk about um, my own story of, you know, losing a parent and 
Um, one of the things that I've found on my grief journey is that the longer it's gone on, the more work I've done, the deeper I've gone, the more I felt a legitimate connection with with my mother, who is you know who died twenty years ago, mm. um, and that connection is genuine, and it's um, it's a real tangible you could call spiritual connection um you know it's not it's not just in my head uh and so i mean so i kind of resonated with with this idea i mean what what is it that you learned about this and what's what understanding of this have you come to so i i come to this practice and, and these ideas through a few different uh, channels. So one is through the Lakumi tradition, uh, which is an Afro-Caribbean spiritual system and religion, essentially, um, that has a very robust um, appreciation of spirits and the way in which spirits functions. And spirits uh, being the, the sort of lingering etheric matter of people who've passed. Um, so there's a lot that comes with with that religion. And, and I've kind of participated in that re- religion over the past for sort of five, six years or so. Um, so that's my relationship with it on that sense. But then of course I have like a personal, you know, personal relationship to this work, similar to maybe what you were talking about. You know, my mother passed away um, about a year and a half ago. Um, and she's really the first family member, like close family member who's, who passed away. Um, and in the Lakumi tradition, as in many, religious systems, there's this idea of honoring your ancestors, which was always kind of, I mean, I got it intellectually and cerebrally. I understood what that meant, but it always felt very sort of distant to me because I I was also adopted as a very young, at a very young age, like mm-hmm. six weeks old. Um, so the idea mm-hmm. of ancestors just kind of felt um, sort of unclear who they were, what they were. Um, and that really didn't come into play or really didn't make sense to me until my mother passed away, at which point I started to feel like, oh, I have, I have ancestors. Now I have ancestors regardless of whether I was adopted or not. And everyone does. Um, but it really started to take shape and, and I started to feel what that felt like when, when my mother passed away. And even more so when I went to visit her, her grave, you know, after, you know, she was buried, like I said, about a year and a half ago. And then recently I went to visit her grave and it was really there that I really kind of felt maybe what you were referring to, that kind of deep, close connection. You know, I sat down in front of the gravestone and and I just felt her there, you know. Um, so, you know, that's been the kind of personal journey. But the the experience with it in a religious context, you know, I've been, I've had for a number of years now, um, different practices and, and things like that through different systems, Lakumi system, and certainly through the biblical work that I've been doing. So tell us a bit more about those, those, those practices and those systems that you've been exploring. Sure. So like I said, Lakumi is a, is an Afro-Caribbean tradition and religion. Um, and in that system, there's something called a spiritismo, which is a, uh, the, the, the aspect of the religion that deals very specifically with, uh, uh, spirits and ancestors. Um, so there are a number of, of things people do and rituals and, and, um, offerings people give that are kind of, uh, tethered to that specific religion and, and specifically to the way in which you're taught. So not everyone is taught the exact same way. But, uh, you know, when you're taught your practices, those are the ones you do. But in a general sense, you know, the practices have to do with 
setting up an altar. Usually that's the first step for, for people who are just beginning, setting up an altar, saying prayers, and really just learning. You know, it's kind of like uh, there's a bit of a learning curve on how to speak to your ancestors. It doesn't necessarily come natural to people, um, and certainly people uh, in North America, where I'm from. Uh, so you kind of have to learn how to do it, and you learn by doing. You know, you sit there and you talk. You talk about your day. You listen. <laughs> you know, with not only your ears but with your heart and with your mind as well, and. Um, you just kind of, in a way, go through the motions at first um, for a lot of people until it starts to feel like there's a relationship developing. So that's the kind of general approach that a lot of people take with that. Then, of course, there's the theological aspect, which is some of what I talk about in the book, which is where does this fall into the Christian context? Um, but uh, but yeah, on the whole, it's it's a lot of talking. <laughs> it's a lot of talking and a lot of listening. And have you actually practiced this yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I, I can't not. It's very hard for me to research or do anything that I don't actually do myself. So, you know, I'm not one of the, uh, there's sort of an academic model where you don't participate in the things you research. I'm not that. I typically research the things I'm already practicing, it turns out. <laughs> so what was this experience like for you? W- which experience? I mean the experience of, pra- of these practices. I mean, oh sure. Walk us through what it's what it's like. Well, so you start. Say you're blank slate, right? You have no relationship to any of this uh, work at all. Um, at first, it can feel kind of embarrassing or uncomfortable because you're sort of talking to seemingly no one. And then over time, you know, if you become sensitive enough or you're able to quiet your mind enough, you start to and I don't know if this is true for everyone, but this is certainly true for me and and people I've talked to. Um, If you're quiet enough internally with the intention of of hearing, uh, you don't necessarily hear voices by any means, but you get impressions. You know, I like to refer to as impressions. They're sort of you asking questions, maybe you're talking about your day and you're just getting kind of felt responses. It's a little bit hard to explain actually, but it's really kind of these felt responses. Um, you know, uh, insights, things like that kind of pop up during these, what are essentially meditation sessions, I guess you could call it. Um, and through that work, the more you do that, the more it becomes more natural, you know, the more it's, it, it, or the less it becomes, um, a situation where you have to really kind of set in setting and, okay, now I'm going to do this. No one disturb me, you know, it becomes less about that and more just about kind of feeling into that space within you where you kind of get these impressions. You know, I, I know people who have certain, certain areas of their body where they feel those impressions. So that's not, uh, that's kind of common too is, oh, I feel them on the right side of my head, or I feel them on the left side, or I feel them in my chest or whatever the case may be. Um, so for me, you know, it's, it varies. Um, but through that work, it, it's a very, um, it's a very quieting and comforting experience because you kind of feel part of the fabric, you know, the kind of unseen fabric of the world, you can call it. Um, so there's obviously the apparent world that we live in where you go to the store and you see people that, you know, and then there's the not apparent, you know, the, the invisible world, um, or what, what sometimes called like the subtle world. Um, and you just kind of feel a part of that, you know, and, and in feeling that, that tends to be a good feeling, at least for me, it's been a good feeling. 
Yeah, it is an incredible experience when you when you take that time to to listen mm-hmm. and to connect and communicate. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It, and you know, I, I sort of using these these terms like like quiet and stillness and stuff like that, but you know, that's not always the case. You know, certainly when you're in the Lakumi religion, there's a lot of noise and a lot of sound and a lot of vibration and a lot of activity that happens in a, in a setting. You know, in the beginning of the book, I talk about um, encountering for almost the first time, really, um, a true espiritismo setting um, or, or um, ceremony. And these are very, you know, active events, you know, uh, there's very little quiet in those events. So the spirits are very loud. They show up, they possess people or people become possessed by them. Um, you know, it's a very vibrant, um, affair. Uh, but outside of that, where people do some of the work on their own, it's often, like you said, it's very quiet and, and it's, um, very meditative in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, I found, I've not used the practices that you have, but I've found those times when I have just sat and allowed myself to connect with my mother, mm-hmm. um, deeply moving experiences. And you're right, there is a kind of element of listening and an element of talking, uh, of communication. Yeah. Um, and it's a really, it's really difficult to kind of describe it unless you've experienced it. Because uh, it's a very intimate thing, and it, it does. There is a there's a feeling which is beyond an emotional feeling. That it's uh, it's yeah spiritual. I would you would call it. I guess um, that you're connecting with some different plane, and there's something really powerful going on. Almost like you're out of time as well. Mm. You're outside of time when that's happening. Yeah, yeah. I've had very the, the very sweet experiences, you know, they feel very tender and they feel, you know, I'm, I, I feel very grateful when I have those kind of experiences because it feels like I'm kind of being let in on something, not that other people aren't, but I'm being let in on something that I wasn't previously, you know, um, that may have been there and available to me, but I just maybe didn't really tap that route, so to speak, you know, um, or take that step towards that. So, so yeah, the, and especially, you know, there's been a a number of times where people have asked me to, you know, Oh, I have, you know, I, I had this um, uncle who I was very close to and passed away. And I don't know if you do any of this stuff, but would you be willing to like speak to him? And I, you know, I always say, well, I, I will, I'll do what I do, (laughs) you know, which is I just go into this kind of meditative state. Um, and I'll just tell you what I, what I experience. I have no idea if any of this is resonates for you, but, um, but you know, when I've done that, uh, the experiences for both me and the other person have been extremely rich and very tender, um, experiences and whether it resonated to the, for them or not is really between them, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very sweet, sweet experience. It really is. Um, and how has that enriched your own spiritual journey, your own relationship with God? Well, you know, it's funny. Like, 
in a way, it hasn't done much in in that regards. And and I don't mean that to 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 step aside from the question, but in a way, it's kind of just become very practical. It's like, well, there are there's more here than than I thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and mm. I I can engage with that to whatever degree I want to, you know, it all just feels like an expression of God's world to me. You know, God has world, a world that is apparent to us and God has a world that is seemingly less apparent. Um, but it's all part of the same world, you know, or all part of the same creation, you know? Um, so in that sense, it's just part of the whole, you know? Um, and in another sense, you know, there's this kind of play because I'm working in like a biblical context in a lot of ways, you know, I'm using the Bible and I'm using um, this tradition as calling it my own. Cause it is um, in that sense. I feel like I'm participating in God's world a little more fully. Maybe we could say, because I'm, there are times when I feel like I'm just experiencing more of it quite literally, you know? So it's not just the room I'm in. It's what else is in the room, you know? Um, so in that sense, there's a, a bit of more of an intimacy maybe that I've experienced and just the fact of being able to participate or feeling as if I'm participating in more of what God created. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mm, really interesting. It's just such a fascinating subject to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an element of spirituality that we don't, that isn't really talked about much. Is it? I mean, we we talked about it's talked about kind of when you talk about communicating with people who've passed and people's spirits and things. It's it's often kind of talked about in you know outside of the Jesus story, outside of Christianity, outside of the church. Um, but this it's really interesting how we've how you've managed to discover this in a way that is actually connected and entwined, intertwined with. Yeah, the message of Jesus and the and the Christian tradition. Sure, I mean this stuff is everywhere in the Bible. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, so, I mean, it's, it is, yeah. I mean, we don't often. It's not often talked about, is it? No, not at all. It's sort of fallen out of favor, and this is all cultural. You know what I mean? This wouldn't necessarily be the case two thousand years ago. the The idea of spirits and the idea of spirits being a presence in the world would have been much more uh, just accepted, even more than accepted. It just would have been the way it is. Um, so the question would have let, would have been more about like, what kinds of spirits are they? Less are there spirits? I mean, Paul, you know, I talk about in the book, you know, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the ability to discern between spirits. Um, that's coming from a cultural context or a worldview that assumes spirits are real. You know, so the question isn't, are they real? The question is, how do you discern between the ones that are helpful and the ones that are malicious? Um, so, you know, it, it's it's hard for a lot of people, and even me up to a point, back in the day at least, to appreciate that because we're just not taught that. Like you said, it's just not part of our worldview. But our worldview, our worldview and the worldview of, of the biblical times are, are quite different. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've kind of moved away from it and kind of focused more on like the Holy Spirit and, you know, the movement of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And mm-hmm. that's kind of, that kind of has been the last 20 or 30 years. And some of these more ancient practices have kind of dropped out and people have stopped talking about them. And even, even actually said that they're not 
they're not Christian, you know, they're not, and that they don't belong with people following the way of Jesus, which, which is incredible, really, when you think about it. And when you think, like you say, it's in the Bible, and it's all over the place in the Bible. Um, it's really, it's a really interesting um, paradox. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with you know, over time, the church obviously centralized its power and authority, you know, that happened kind of early on. And when that happens, the things that are less controllable become, you know, sort of denigrated. So, you know, spirit communication is not something that a central authority can really control what people are doing or what they're hearing. Um, So you start to see those as the more and more the church sort of centralizes its authority, the less and less you see an appreciation of these kind of outlier uh, teachings, you know, from, from beings that aren't under the, under the guidance of the priest or the Pope or the church in general, you know? Um, And then you see, of course, you see the Protestant Reformation. And then out of that, you see the charismatic tradition. And of course, that tradition that didn't have a centralized authority, all of a sudden you're seeing spirit communication pop back up again. And there's this huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit and the movement of the spirit, like you said. Whereas in Catholicism, you don't have that as strongly because the two paradynamics are very different. You know, the two churches are very different in that respect. So so I think a lot of it's kind of political in a way, a lot of it's social and cultural, but the social and cultural come from the political. So um, when it comes to religion, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it really does. I mean, you talk about magical practices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this, I mean, and because the word magic, when people, when Christians look at it, it's almost like, oh, witchcraft, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us a bit about those. Tell us a bit about what you mean by that and what your experience of that is. Yeah, you know, funny enough, it's not really a term I use too, too much that I do use it in the book here and there because it's very loaded. There are other people that I'm kind of friends with and in communication with about this stuff who are more unpacking that term. But but the way in which I see it, you know, is that the term magic, it's another one of these terms that depending on the cultural context you live in is going to have different inferences. You know, so when you talk about the the three wise men, quote unquote, the three wise men who come to visit Jesus, you know, how do they learn about that? They learn about that by observing the stars, right? Now, taken out of context and put today, we'd say, oh, those are astrologers. That's witchcraft, magic. Um, They're sort of reading the stars and not trusting in God. So they must be, you know, must be some sort of witchcraft, right? But it's not. They're observing the world that they have access to and interpreting it in order to make decisions. That's what the three wise men did. They looked up, they saw a star do something. They said, that means something. Let's go follow it. Um, the magical tradition is continues to be exactly that, observing the world, whatever aspect of the world you're focusing on, and inferring from it. You know, So whether that be movements of the planets, movements of the stars, the way in which, you know, uh, tea leaves land at the bottom of a cup, you know, whatever the case may be, you observe your environment and you make choices, you know? So magic tends to be kind of sectioned off into like, well, magic is only doing those things, but really it's just part of the way we interpret the world. You know, some people interpret the movement of birds. Some people interpret, you know, the way in which germs (laughs) germs <laughs> affect our environment, you know, depending on what your focus is, you know. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's a question of how you how you how you see the world, how you experience the divine, and the language that you use. Because, like you say, you know, somebody might call it magic, but it might be actually it's just an experience of the divine that is that we're just trying to give language to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we can call, we can use different language as we like, you know, but it's, it's essentially the same thing. It's when you strip away the language, it's a very, it's a, it's an intimate spiritual experience and a connection with the divine a connection with people that you've, that you've lost. Uh, and that's the bigger picture, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, just like you're kind of saying there, this language tends to get in the way in a lot of cases. Now, in some re- in some cases, it's really important to kind of reclaim the la- language. You know, some people, it's really important to reclaim this idea of magic or magical systems or magical practices. But at the end of the day, ultimately, they just kind of set up many borders around stuff. I mean, there was a time when practicing with herbs or having knowledge of herbs was considered witchcraft. And then there's a time when having knowledge of herbs is considered scientific and it, it just constantly fluctuating. So it's, to me, even with spirits, you know, it's, it's, it's less like spirit work, even though I do use that term and more like, are you open to this other information? <laughs> you know what I mean? Are you sensitive to this other information coming in? If you are, use it, you know, use it to the best of your ability. If you're not, then use something else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think people need to widen their view of the divine and open open themselves up to a, a deeper and wider experience of the divine rather than one that's just restricted by, you know, language and legalism and some of these unhelpful terms. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all of its interpretation, I mean, the Bible itself, I mean, we we receive it as interpreted. Um, and it's interpreted by people with a very specific worldview. You know, if you don't like their worldview, you're probably not going to like their interpretation. So find someone whose worldview matches yours or do your own work and the interpretation will be there, you know, and that goes with all of it. Every spiritual text, you know, it's, they're meant to be interpreted, but they can only be interpreted within the cultural context in which people are interpreting them. Right. So if that's a legalistic one, then that's what you're going to get. You know, spiritual texts are very good mirrors, very good mirrors of the person interpreting them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I mean, what, so what is, what's your biggest hope for this book? What do you hope that people reading it will, will take out of it and how it will help them on their spiritual journeys? So with this book, and kind of with all the stuff that I write, you know, my agenda really is to sort of crack open, sort of un, you know, you kind of see it kind of as like loosening a knot, you know, when you when you have like a piece of rope or a necklace or something that's really knotted, it takes time, and you kind of have to push pieces together and sort of pull hoops and loops out of the way and kind of make room right for the thing to kind of open up, and I really feel that's what what part of my job is, is to go into this religion, which is the religion of my upbringing, and kind of undo some of those knots because those knots aren't helpful, you know? So whether it's looking at it, you know, the book is very specific. It's about like spirits, but the, 
the sort of larger inference is that if we go towards the religion in this way, by unpacking the language, um, we can actually find that it's much broader, much more open, and always has been. Always has been. That's why there's about like you know 800 different sects of Christianity <laughs> because other people before me have done exactly what I'm what I'm doing, which is like looking at it from this angle or looking at it from that angle and trying to loosen up some of those bonds um, that aren't serving people anymore. So that's the kind of broader you know agenda of the book. But I use spirits as kind of the vehicle to get there, at least in this book. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's just definitely something that there's a need for. Sure. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people are deconstructing out of traditional Christianity and people are, are searching for some for a deeper form of spirituality, uh, not just Christian spirituality, but spirituality as a whole. And what you're talking about in this book in a way it almost transcends christianity as well it's mm. it's because of the nature of it it's it opens people it opens people up to an experience of the divine which maybe they haven't had before yeah that's that's the hope you know is to do exactly that so what practices do you think that people can start to implement in their own lives can like is there a way of of bringing these bringing these practices into 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 each of our lives, or just a form of these practices that we can that we can implement. Sure, yeah. So in the book, I, I have a chapter um, that's kind of like a chapter of practices, um, but they're not practices. You know, I don't call them spirit work practices or, or like ways to you know draw down the spirits or anything like that. You know, because I think what most people require um, is is the ability to listen and the ability to become sensitive and to slow down. So, you know, the practices that I recommend tend to do that. Um, you know, there's some listening practices in the book. There are um, practices of like divine reading or lecta divinia, which is, you know, um, kind oh, of, a, yeah, prayerful, prayerful meditation or prayerful reading. Um, you know, I personally, um, do what are called um, spiritual exercises or the Ignatian spiritual exercises, which involve a lot of kind of prayerful reading or meditation on on uh, passages in the Bible and things like that. And, you know, these are the things that I recommend to people is like breathing practices, witness meditation, um, which are all mentioned in the book, um, so that they can it's sort of like you're kind of creating the container to have the experiences you hope to have. You know, we, it's very hard to just go one day doing something and then another day be like, okay, now I'm going to listen to the subtle, <laughs> the subtle etheric matter of the universe. Like, what does that even mean? You know, so what's more effective tends to be like learning how to settle down, learning how to become, come into a quiet place and then letting that inform what you, what comes to you, you know? whether it's spirit, yeah. whether it's in, intuition, whatever, it doesn't really matter. We're here just to learn. So it's kind of like, if you go in saying, I want to speak to spirits, it's like, well, why? What you want to do is learn, right? You want to grow. Any way you can do that, you know, is the way to do that. Um, and the way to start that is to be able to listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's like, 
it's kind of like that you have to practice it regularly for it to be effective. Like them, like anything, I guess. The more you practice it, the more effective it is, and the deeper you can go. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I often talk about this idea of having uh, that you have to want it. You know, I talk about that a lot, really, in the context of like when people are coming back to say Christianity or Catholicism and want to reinvest in that. You know, I I often say you have to want it because if you don't, you're going to get pushed out really quick because there's often many barriers. But the same goes for any other practice. You know, I think with social media and like internet and stuff, there's a lot of kind of false involvement in practices and that like you can read about practices and watch YouTube's on practice, a YouTube video on practices and do them a couple times and feel like you've done them, but you really haven't done anything until you've done it, you know, for the 10,000 hours, you know, it takes to really start to get to know something. And these old traditions, like a yogic tradition, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of hours until you feel like you're beginning you know, until you feel like you actually have like a foot in the door. Um, and the same goes with anything, which isn't to say that you, you know, nothing happens in the first 10 hours because lots happen in the first 10 hours. Um, but it's this idea of commitment, you know, um, finding where you want to be settling in practicing. And when you come up against stumbling blocks, practicing through those as well, you know, and trying to stick with it and give it, give it a, like, give it a chance, give it a fair shot to have an effect absolutely absolutely yeah it's like anything um i mean it's really really fascinating i'm really excited to read it. i'm really sad i wasn't able to read it before we did had this conversation because it's it just sounds it sounds it sounds absolutely fascinating and it's it's definitely i mean for somebody who's grieving mm-hmm. somebody who's who's gone who's doing who's doing the work of grief i wouldn't say this is something that happens straight away um, I mean, I talk about grief as grief is almost like reconnecting in some mm-hmm. ways, part of the process of grieving. So it's something you can do further down the line in terms of the journey of grief. Um, but it, it feels very hopeful for me that and I'm sure I'll feel quite help, hopeful for other people who are, who are grieving that, that there's a sense that you can with time and with, with a lot of healing and a lot of work, and the right practices that you can find some connection with the people that you've lost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the grieving and the, the experience of loss and sadness, these are profound, profound emotional states that if you're able to participate in them, if you're not like completely Im- like uh, overcome with them, but you're able to participate in them, um, they offer huge, not just insight, but just huge enriching experiences. There's a great, um, I don't know if you've seen it or anyone else has seen it, but there's a great, um, series that came out recently called the good Lord bird, which is about, um, uh, an abolitionist named John Brown. And during the days of Frederick Douglass and, and slavery in the, in the United States. Um, and there's this great quote that he mentions. He, something happens where he's, he's really disappointed and let down and he's kind of sad and talking to a young boy and says to him, you know, if you reach down and you touch that disappointment, you'll actually feel God's doors opening, which I just find found to be such a profound and beautiful way of expressing that if you actually go down and touch the sadness or go down and touch the grief, actually get in there, you feel that overwhelming love is really the only way I can describe it that's present there. 
You know, it's not just we think of grief and sadness as just kind of negatives, but they're not. They're, there's joy in sadness. There's fear in sadness. There's sadness in sadness. There's they're very complex. You know, and if you're able to sort of get inside them and go in, you'll feel something very rich and very profound down in there. I find. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. Mm. Um, definitely, I've I've felt this real connection to my mother and um mm. and you know sometimes it's just a sense of presence sometimes you talk to them sometimes you listen and mm-hmm. yeah it, 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 it's difficult to explain to people who haven't been through it but it is a very deep intimate moment and um and i think yeah even if you haven't lost somebody and you and there's nobody that you're trying to connect to that there's still an element of you can connect with a presence and a spirit and a consciousness if you if you do this work and you and you and you enter into these practices totally and and you know one a practice i put that in quotes you know that i recommend to people is like when you know when you experience a loss it could be a breakup with just a you know a partner or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever um even that which I shouldn't say even that those are tend to be, or can be extremely um, profound um, and saddening and sorrowful experiences. But if you're able to turn towards that sadness and towards that sorrow, there's so much to be, so much to be had there. Um, You know, and you've, at least in my experience, you feel more whole by going towards the holes, you know, by not turning a blind eye to the to the experience of having a hole inside our heart, if you go towards it, you integrate it, and it you feel more complete. You know. Yeah, that's right. That's what changed for you? I mean, I'm curious to know what changed. You know, you had said that you know your mother passed away 20 years ago. What what changed that you began to feel more close or more or more I connection did. there? Yeah, I did a lot of spiritual direction for quite a few years i'm still mm-hmm. doing it um and i obviously had therapy and stuff as well and mm-hmm. and joined a contemplative community and um you know i was journaling and i've been doing a bit of yoga as well and you know i had a transcendent spiritual experience mm-hmm. with my mother uh in uh during a taze service um and she you know she spoke french and I was getting some of the French words wrong and it was just almost like she was there and I was there and we were laughing. (laughs) Um, uh, In the midst of this service of about 20 people. Mm, And yeah, yeah, I only realized what happened afterwards at the end. I've told this story on the podcast before, but it is a really powerful story. And yeah, uh, I think that's when it started. And then I, since then I sometimes get a sense of her presence and just have a little smile and maybe, um, Tears of joy, tears, you know, tears of grief, um, and yeah, I just have this sense of of that. She's not always. It's not always. She's not always here. Not always around. Uh, it's just. It's just every so often. Yeah, when you, when you're not expecting it, and just it's just a sense that you have that you're just tuned into. Um, mm. And I think some of those practices make it possible, and opening yourself up to to that connection makes it possible, and. Yeah, that's 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 my experience of it. Yeah, I mean, to me, that sounds, you know, when, when oftentimes when I talk to people or where people are talking about spirit work and that kind of stuff, there's this 
it's it's made out to be this very big thing, like a big event. You do these very hardcore practices and you've got to, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it's and in a way that's fine. And for, that may be important for some people or their direction. But to me, the most integrated experience of it all is exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's this, like, they're there. <laughs> they're there just like, it's not like everyone who walks down the street, I need to go out and speak to every spirit that's in the room. I don't need to speak to, you know what I mean? Your mother is around when she's around and when she's quiet, she's quiet. You know, when it's important for you to, to be in communication or whatever, however you define it, then that's what happens, you know? Um, and those moments alone are the enriching moments. So I think it's really important for people who, to orient themselves with regards to this this idea of spirits, that it's more about that day-to-day, matter-of-fact, just relationship with what's what remains, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I've really enjoyed this. Mm, um, me too. Really interesting. And I'm really glad we got to talk about this. So, me too. Uh, where can people get this book and connect with you? So I do a lot of, um, I spend a lot of time on my Instagram page, which is, uh, the handle is new old traditions. Uh, I kind of use it as my website and kind of sounding board for classes and, and videos I post and things like that. So if they go to Instagram and they go to new old traditions and you actually don't need to have an Instagram account to, to see this stuff, you can just go online if you needed to. Um, but that's where I do a lot of, a lot of that, um, a lot of this talk and these these subject cover these subject matters. The book um, called Sitting with Spirits you can get through Amazon if you use Amazon. Um, you can also get it through Lulu, L-U-L-U dot com. Um, but if you Google um, Sitting with Spirits and my name Bob O, it'll come up and all your ways and means of getting it will be there. Excellent, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank um, you. Fantastic. And um, I hope this is helpful for you too, listening, everyone. So um, take care, everyone, and we'll talk again really soon.